we're going to jump right to Numbers because we got a little bit of a, of a, of a, a list of verses here I want to make sure we cover. And I, I tend to ramble because that's what preachers do because they're so fired up, especially when they had a week off. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1 through 11. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, all the people, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there, one of the Israelites. That's pre-context, but it's not relevant to right now in this message. Verse 2 says, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Moses and his brother were leading Israelites, and every time something didn't go peachy, peachy smooth, they became disgruntled, mad at Moses and Aaron like it was their job to do everything, you know? So they said, hey, there's no water. It says in verse 3, the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if we only had died where our brethren died before the Lord, it would have been better than this. Why have you brought us up, why have you brought up the assembly, us, of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our animals should die there? Why would you do that to us? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us this evil to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. There's no Starbucks. There's no White Castle. There's no McDonald's. There's no Schnucks. There's no Shop and Save Schnucks remake, whatever you call that thing. There's nothing. Why have you done this to us? Mose? So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. When the leaders of the tabernacle, when the leaders of the Levites and all the tribes needed to go talk to God, they go to the tabernacle, because that's where the high priest hung out. But here, they were the high priests, essentially, and they fell on their faces in the presence of God at the tabernacle to, to find out what they should do. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, take the rod, you know, that stick I gave you. Anybody ever heard of Moses having a rod in his hand? It's just a stick. What good can a stick do? Take the rod and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes. Talk to a rock. That's so stupid, God. Why would I talk to a rock? Anyway, I think that's what they were thinking. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock, before their eyes, and it will yield water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and the animals. So Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded them. I, I would imagine that if I was in the desert, lost with no Starbucks or schnooks, you know, I'd go for coffee before water, but if I had neither, I don't think I'd be yelling at some rock. That doesn't make sense, God. You know, God will tell you to do something doesn't make sense. It's because we're sensual. And if you try to dissect God with your senses, you're going to leave the situation confused. But God is spiritual. And when the spirit moves, it doesn't make sense. But God is also omnipresent, omniscient. He can heal a man in Africa the same time he can heal a man today in this house. And we don't get it. But he's God and we're not. He has no counselor. I digress. So when God tells you, speak to the rock. Do it if you want to drink. Verse 8, take the rod, excuse me, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. He's got the stick in his hand, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. They didn't have the most peachy relationship. In fact, it was probably often sarcastic, Felix, like, 
you guys are never grateful. Okay, I got you a rock and I got this stick. Here now, rebels. He calling them rebels. Here now, rebels, you must bring water out of, we must bring water out of this rock for you. Is that what you want? And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And, oh, excuse me. My dyslexia is kicking in, evidently. Verse 11. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice, not once, but twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. So he struck the rod with a stick, and water came pouring out, and he struck it twice. Interesting. I don't know about y'all, but every time I try to hit a rock, I hurt my hand. And if I had a stick, my stick would break. But that's not what happened. Because when God says to do something, it's not going to happen the way you expect. It's not going to be the forecasted failure that maybe you think because it doesn't make sense to you. So quit trying to make sense of it and just do what God says. Amen? It's a motto for a Christian walk. Touch your neighbor, tell him, just hit the rock. Hit the rock. Come on, somebody. It's a motto. When you leave here, just say, just hit the rock. It's a motto. Don't question. Do. Don't question. Do. God will bring revelation by your faithfulness. You be faithful. God will reveal more. The water came out. Moses lifted his hand, struck the rock twice. The water came out. And the congregation and their animals drank the Starbucks. So my question today to you is, have you ever run yourself into complete exhaustion? I mean, complete physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional exhaustion. I mean, you're still able, but you feel wiped out. The things that normally spark reaction out of you now feel flat, numb, insignificant. The motivation you once had now seems to be non-existent. I've run so hard that now I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. And time has this thing of moving quicker as we get older. It really just feels that way because we get busy, you know? It just feels like it won't slow down. But how much more productive could we be in our life if we was based on a balance that would keep us staying rested and fed by the sources that bring us life-sustaining energy that coffee doesn't do? We have to keep that balance and be fed by something that will bring back the slanted seesaw. You know what I mean? And it's a really good thing, I've been there, to get out of your comfort zone. And in fact, on occasion, reach a limit. It's a good thing to reach a limit sometimes that you didn't even know you had. It's stretching. But seeing the boundaries of self creates an opportunity to see God for who he really should be in our life, a necessity and a foundation. It's only when you reach a limit with yourself do you realize the necessity for God to be in your life. It's when you're in control of everything and life is so easy that you feel like you got it covered. But when you push yourself to a new boundary that's a little uncomfortable, a new limit, and you get to that point of breaking, that's when God breaks you into a new dimension of faith because you recognize you can't do it alone. You with me? Are you at a place right now that you're ready to let God lend a hand to ease the load as you're getting what you ask God to deliver, but you may be forgetting how to handle the blessing. 
It's maxing you out. You're maxed out. Your credit card's maxed out. Your, 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 your job is maxed out. Everything's maxed out. Everything I prayed for, I got. Now what do I do? I feel crippled by it. I can't carry the load of what I asked God to give me. I need, a, lend, I need him to lend a hand. He's put this in your path. But it's so important to remember the provision or supply of where the stronghold is in our journey. Jesus. When I was a kid, every kid I think is this way, but there's like this figure of speech. When I, when I become a man, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'll be able to make decisions. And as a little kid, I think little girls and boys go through this. They can't wait. My kids, they can't wait to get older and make decisions because they feel like, cool, I can do something new. Like Kaylee, she's four. And when she gets to like go in the car with dad without the others, she feels like she's, she's grown. Like this is my thing with dad now. Like I no longer am just trailing behind them. This is my special time. She takes ownership because she's elevated her accountability and her responsibility to a new height even at four. And I know, like, as a kid, like, I hated school. All you kids sick in school, it's a good thing, but I hated school. And, and I remember getting to high school, and then I remember finding out I could drive to school, and then I thought, okay, I can just leave if I want to leave. And, 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 then the, and then the Mrs., whatever her name was, a teacher, I'm getting old, I can't remember the gym teacher, hey, Jeff, missed you in gym class again. I'm like, I know, because I drove home. I didn't want to come. Is that wrong? Oh, supposed to be there. Oh, well, you know, I'm about to graduate, so oh well. See, I like that. The more independence I got, the better I functioned. I had this desire to become a man as fast as I could. I hated people putting boundaries on me. Some people need that. Some people don't, don't like that. But, but everybody, especially children and adolescents, think it's going to be better to be in full control. And so this phrase, the day I become a man, it's like in, in the man's world, it can mean a lot of different things. But it's like the day I can, I'm a man now, alpha male in the house, you know, that's what we think of. But then you become a man or a woman. And what happens, parents? Come on. What happens when you see your little kids, when you hit about 40, maybe 35, and you see your little kids? What do you start doing? You start thinking, that wasn't so bad wasn't so bad because they had a hand lent to them at all times. When Kaylee's tired and doesn't want to, doesn't want to work, you know, for the family business at four or whatever child labor, if we, no, I'm just kidding. She, she can just go take a nap. She, she wants lunch. She's got mommy to make it. She wants, she wants uh, some yarn from the yarn store. They can just ask dad to take them to get some yarn so they can make a nice beanie for Pastor Wayne that we're going to ship him next week. They can do that because, because they got a hand to lend them. If, if your kids aren't into sewing and, and stitching, it's the hottest thing. It's cool now, Jim. Everybody's doing it. Knitting. Anyway. But when you become a man... I've felt this, and woman, women feel this too. This is not a gender thing. This is, a, this is a responsibility thing. There's going to be a time in your life where you feel like there's no one left to turn to. You have to make the decisions. And then what? You start feeling this pressure. This pressure like everybody's reporting to me. My children, my, even my wife. I mean, God bless her. But, but, but someone's got to do this. And same with her. If she doesn't do certain things, I don't know what I would do. And everybody has this role of accountability. And there's a point where you're going to feel like you've hit this limit. And so, so a few months ago, we went on this church trip. 
like we did last week, but this was to a conference in Washington. And we went to a conference called Team Church, Pastor Kevin Gerald. It's a great, it's a great team builder conference for churches that want to grow and build their teams. And it was amazing. And it was like four days of just the best worship. It was in Washington state, just beautiful ever, uh, evergreens. Is that what they're the big pine trees, whatever trees everywhere. You come in on the airplane. It's so amazing and beautiful. Cameron went with us because he was doing some production team, team learning and team leading and, and springboarding. And, and Nick went with us because we were doing some springboarding and learning in the worship department and, and Michelle and me and, 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 and on and on and on. And we're just absorbing knowledge. It's so good, right? And it was just so much. And then the worship at night, after your brain's ready to explode from so much data, then they got this incredible worship, just thousands of people worshiping. You think, man, this is just the dream. I can't imagine ever being to this level in the presence of God. It's so amazing. God, oh my God, I can't handle it. And you puke in your brain. What starts out good becomes heavy. So what happened is, I get headaches and I don't like planes. I don't know. I think it's because I don't drink any water. I get dehydrated, Amanda. And so then two days go by and I get a migraine, altitude, all that stuff. So I get home on the airplane ride. I got this crazy headache and I'm laying in my bed with just a, 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 a throw up mess of email notes that later I come back and I refine down of what I actually picked up that I want to apply in our church, in my life, in our teams. And I have to go through and refine and it was just pages and pages of gobble. PJ language. And so I'm laying in my bed and I started feeling so depressed. I'm serious. I, at the highest point of amazing conference, I got home and I felt so down, so depressed, so defeated. You know why? Because I'm looking at the end instead of looking at the steps we're at. And so you got to stay at the steps you're at in the journey. And if you look to the end and you try to carry that weight when you're, when you're 100 steps behind, it will feel heavy. But I actually lost confidence in that moment, which is rare for me. I'm usually an upbeat, motivated guy. And I was laying in my bed feeling defeated after the most amazing conference. That's not supposed to happen. But it did. See, God was doing something. And this is not the first time. This is just an illustration. But God showed me, you're just a man. The day you became a man is the day you recognized you're just a man. Not what the culture calls you a man. The day you become a man is the day you realize you're just a man or a woman. And you have a limit. The title of this sermon is the day I became a man. It's so important that understanding our limitations is what exposes the supernatural significance of God in our life. Understanding our limitations is what exposes God's supernatural significance. Because until you don't realize you have a limit, and there'll be something in your life to test it, even a good thing like the best church conference ever. There'll be something to test it. And might I add, this is a regular thing for me, but this was, this was different for me because it was in the church realm. I had, I had been there in life and recognized the feeling, but in the church realm, it was new. And so God was stretching me to see the load that I'm begging him for. And this, pastor, is how you'll handle it. Because you have a limit, and we have a limit. 
And that's the day you really become a man in the eyes of God. That's the day you really become a woman in the eyes of God. Pride, you know, confidence. We mistake mercy as insignificant. We think mercy is irrelevant. You know, one of the best things God did for us is provide grace and mercy. If we're dumb enough to think we did this by ourselves, then the devil's got his hand wrapped around our brains. We take for granted the best things of all because they sound weak. They make you feel like it's weak to the culture. But what the culture thinks is weak, God says, ah, that's strong. Remember, I was a lamb. Look, I looked like a lamb to them, but I came as a lion in the lamb. See, what the culture says was weak was actually strong. So we mistake mercy as insignificant, and that's what we need to embrace when we're feeling that down and out, that God doesn't care for me, that God doesn't love me. I've done something bad. You need his mercy because that's what mercy and grace is. He says, I'll provide a way even that you don't deserve it. You can't forget that. The, 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 the worst thing I hear people say, this hurts to hear, is when they think God doesn't want them. That is such a lie. That is such the devil's lie. God wants every one of his sheep in the flock. And no matter how many times you've messed up, and no matter what you've done, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. You can preach to yourself that you're no good, but that's not God talking. Discern the spirits. Know if they are of God, says John. So God will often take away what we expect in order to see who we need. And that's when we start to realize mercy. Mercy. Anybody remember mercy, the game? When you're a kid, you put your hands together. Now they got tablets. They probably have like a digital mercy. They don't use real hands anymore, right? But when we were a kid, especially if my brother or my friends, they just crushed me because I never had good forearm strength, and you, you, the first one, mercy, you lose. And then you're, mercy, 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 let go. You know, they don't want to let go. Then they're being cute, and then you want to smack them. That's what brothers do. When we recognize the need for mercy, it's in those moments that we feel the need. It's a time of trouble. That's when the significance of God's grace and mercy matter to us. That's when they matter. We get in this, we get like the Israelites. We go numb. We just see the need for water. We forgot who sent us out of Egypt. How many times God says, do I have to rescue you, rescue you before you quit doubting me? I got you out of Egypt, and now you think I won't provide the water out of this rock. God takes away resources. Everybody say resources. So you have to reevaluate where your strength is. There's nothing more humbling than when you get on a roll and someone pulls the carpet out from underneath you and you feel like you got to go back to the drawing board and it makes you appreciate and remember and stay humble in the journey that these little elements are what make the thing flow in your life, in your church, all the above. It's important to reevaluate how you got to church, why you came to church, why you started serving, why you say God is good, why you say God is, is, is higher than all, all the heavens. Why do you say this? It's good to remember that because if you forget it, it becomes routine. It becomes a Pharisee thing. We have to remember what created our passion to begin with. And being overwhelmed, hitting that limit, and realizing that we need his mercy and grace is when we see the significance 
and are reminded of what he did. So it's so important that we understand our limitations, which exposes God's supernatural significance in our lives. And that was a good reminder for me the day we got home from that trip. I had to take a couple steps back and remember the beginning of the journey. We will fight against God just like Israel. It feels unfair. It feels unfair that I don't get it the way I want it when I want it. But mistaking the essence of God's love and mercy is what the enemy wants. And the Israelites did it over and over. Forgetting the core fundamentals of God's nature towards us skews us outwardly, makes us bitter, makes us think there's no point in going to church, makes us tell ourselves we can just be our own church, watching YouTube. I'm sorry, church, but the church is plural, people together. Okay? It does matter. It matters. So the devil wants you to compromise and say none of it matters. It's insignificant. I call them professional churchgoers. Me and Jim were talking about this at the serve day yesterday. You get so full of knowledge, so trained up in the church that you forget who Jesus is. And you forget what image you are shining to people when you're, when you're can, you believe, can you believe what kind of hair they walked in here with? And can you believe he had some tears in his pants? That's why I wear them, because I want to annoy those people. For real. We don't want stigma, stereotypes. So we're trying to break them and say anybody is welcome here. This is, not, this is not a defined box that you have to have your nice shiny robe and stand on the corner and preach the most theological scriptures from memory. That is not the love of Christ. The love of Christ is the simple. Take up your cross and follow me. When you become so full of knowledge that you feel the need to tell everybody everything, God says you need to reset. You need to remember the mission. It's not about you. It's about me, he says. It'll create a pressure in you. You'll hit a wall because it's different. When you roll in your confidence for so long and then God shakes you up, you feel a little lost for a minute. That's kind of how I felt. I felt a little lost with so much thinking too far ahead. It created this pressure in me to pivot. And when God, when God changes your mentality from a know-it-all Pharisee and says, actually, maybe you're missing a key ingredient, and I want to fix that thing because none of this matters. And if you don't have this, well, you're missing what I really have for you. There's going to be a pressure on you, and you're going to feel this pressure that you need to do something different, and you're not going to like it. And God's saying, hit the rock, and you're saying, I just want, I just want someone to bring me a water bottle. I don't want to hit the rock. I don't believe that's the way to do it. And so you're going you're gonna to pivot. See, the pressure to change in those situations, to humble yourself, to let God in, to, to be less dogmatic, to be less confrontational, whatever it is you're doing that's overstretching the limitations of what God designed you to be, it's going to create a pressure that's going to cause you to pivot when you want to see the change for real. The pressure creates a pivot. I can preach on this because it happened last night. Jim, we talked about not having our phones. And I lost my phone last night. And we were talking at the serve day like, man, it's so good when the phone breaks and you don't have it. And then you don't have to jump on email and social media every 13 milliseconds in the blink of an eye. Bloop, scan, scan, you know, and run your brain into the ground. and do it. We're so happy we don't have our phones until I actually lost it. I felt like a hypocrite, Jim. I felt like a Pharisee. I wanted my water. 
God says, hit the rock. So I start looking for this thing. This is about 6 o'clock. I mean, I do everything, Gary, every church order, every email, every event thing. Boom, boom, boom. Take away the phone. God, why have you forsaken me? I said, Michelle, it's getting serious. I can't find it. I can't find the mark of the beast. I mean, the phone. I can't find it. And <laughs> so my, club, my kids know. that They know there's a limit dad reaches, and it becomes serious. It's no more funny. It's serious. I said, guys, find my phone. Somehow they become smarter than me, and I'm starting to believe it. So I said, find my phone. I said, I said I've looked in the car. I've looked in the truck. I've looked in the garage. I've looked on the driveway. We're out on the driveway messing with that sign. I said, I've looked in the trash can. I've looked in the pantry. I've looked in my office. I've looked in the family room. I've looked everywhere. I went to, my mom lives next door. I know it's weird. I went next door. I said, did I leave it at Grammy's house? I said, we can't even reach Grammy because we don't have our phones. And God says, just walk over there. I didn't know that I could walk over there, Mike. It's like 30 feet of grass. In 45 degree weather, Mike, I didn't know I could walk over there. We got a texter. Michelle, texter. Does your phone work, Michelle? Yeah, mine works. Texter, ask her if my phone is there. God, where is my phone? It's not here. She writes back. I'm starting to panic. Not really, but I was kind of upset. Dear Jesus, please send me my phone. Please, God. Give me this water out here in the wilderness or just send me back to Egypt. God says, I got a messenger. Dad says, I'll go look at, Chloe says, I'll go look in your office again, Dad. Whatever, Chloe. I looked twice. Found it. No, you didn't. It was right in your drawer, Dad. Just like that. Are you nine? Are you 19? You're nine. Stay that way. I said, I looked in that drawer. You know where she found it? Right where I noticed the problem to begin with. She noticed it was right where I started the problem, right where I thought there was no water, no life, no God. The phone was sitting right there under my nose. You see what I'm saying? You know, you can miss the rocks right in front of you. The supply is right in front of you, and God will circle you around that mountain or house or office for 40 years until you go back to where you started and realize he was standing there all along. Oh. I did feel better about that, by the way. And then I was like, if I ever lose this again, I'll never need it. But I was like, but for now, <laughs> and that pressure to find it made me look in a way I've never looked before. It created a pivot. And you can thrive or die in those moments of pressure. You can blame God or bless his name. You're going to have to choose. You got free will, you know, and God's going to put you in a situation where you get to choose. Am I going to do this for God or am I going to gripe about it? Am I going to bless it or curse it? Am I going to use it for an opportunity or for a prison sentence? Am I going to take this disease and curse myself or am I going to witness through it and show what God can do? He can, he can bring it out of me and I can touch lives in the, in the meantime. Maybe that's my ministry is in the pivot. Faithfulness will cause you to pivot under that pressure. And what we choose in that moment is what matters. That's the moments nobody else sees. 
That's the moment nobody gives you the pat on the back for. That's the moment it's between you and God. He didn't say, look at the rock. He said, encounter the rock. He didn't say, look at it, pray for water to come out. He says, strike it. He said, put some pressure on that thing to create change. So Moses struck the rock, but it took a little pressure to see movement. If you stay the way you always are, you'll get the all, always get the same result. You have to do something different to get a different result. For things to flow, we have to do more than trust. We have to lean and encounter God. We have to more than trust him from a distance. We have to encounter them because he's sitting right in your office drawer all along. He's sitting right there. And you think he's some, on some sky planet, heaven, heaven jet some far away with really good internet. No, he's sitting right in your drawer. God is everywhere right there. He didn't leave you. You just quit looking at him. And this pressure is going to get you to remember where he is and why he is there. Because you have a limit. Understanding your limitation will expose you to God's supernatural significance. That pivot will cause you to see a blessing in a battle. If you don't restrict yourselves from the substitutes that only God can give pure nourishment, you will never remember God for who he is, that he is first and only, when you keep substituting him for something quick and easy. God wants you to see him on a deeper level. Because ultimately, the rock to the Israelites is Jesus to us. The rock that holds the living water to the Israelites that Moses struck is Jesus to us. And it was then. It was then. They just didn't know because Jesus hadn't come yet. It was prophetic because Jesus is the well and the rock holds my well. If we go to the gospel of John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, it says, on the last day, Jesus stood and cried, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, verse 37. If y'all got that, say amen. If the screen's got it, say, there, the screen's got it. <laughs> on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Isn't that funny? Come to me and drink. How we drink you, Jesus? Are you a are you a are you a, a are you a cold coffee? Are you a, a frappa? Are you a latte? Are you a cappuccino? What are you, Jesus? How do we drink from your cup? He says, "I am the rock. I am the living water. He who drinks from me shall never thirst." Verse thirty-seven. On the last day, he says, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his." belly, heart, shall flow rivers of living water. Did you know the water you consume is the water that comes out? Oh, no. Yeah. When you consume something ugly, guess what comes out? Come on, somebody. It's quiet in here. You consume something good, what comes out? Eventually, it's a garden, right? You want good stuff to grow in the garden, what do you got to do? Filter it. Get the weeds out. The weeds are let in through here, through, through associations that hurt you, through doing things you shouldn't be doing. That's letting the weeds in. And then you wonder why the garden feels like rotten tomatoes all the time. 
Let it in, and it will come out because God's word is his spirit. His spirit is life-bearing, and when you root his spirit of seed, one seed, Jesus Christ, in your heart, it will produce a harvest that will come out, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit. He's talking about himself in the new birth, regeneration after the resurrection. They didn't get it. Whom those believing in him would receive, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not glorified. You see, the spirit that dwelt in Christ could not be given to somebody else until it left his body. You know, we are the bride, he is the groom. Oh, I could go, this is theology, I could go way into it, but we don't have time. There's one spirit. God is a spirit, and he is one. He is one God. The spirit that created the heavens and the earth came into the form of a man in a manger, a stinky barn, stinky manger, rooted up this plan of redemption. We call it the word made flesh because it relates to time and space. We call him Jesus Christ, which is, uh, which is Hebrew Yeshua, which is, which is old Hebrew Jehovah saves. Because he shall save his people from their sins, God will send a savior. The Bible says there's no greater love than to lay down your life for another, not someone else's. The reason we call him son is because he had a creation, a birth. He is the fruit of God's plan. So he is the son of God. So the spirit that created the heavens came through the son, resurrected, rooted up, did wonder signs and miracles. We call him counselor, wonderful, Jehovah saves. And then he says, I'm going to give up my spirit so now you can take over as my body. That's the book of Acts, and we're not teaching on Acts today. But next year I will. We'll do a series on it. That's, that's the transformation process. Anybody remember that series? So when he says, you will drink from my cup and out of you shall flow my spirit, it can't flow yet because it has not been given yet, the Bible says, which didn't happen until Acts 2. Jesus had not been glorified, which means he had not been crucified and resurrected is what glorified means. He's dropping hints. He's good like that. You see, but what he's saying is, I am the well, and I am the spirit that's going to give you that flow of water out of me, the rock in your life. And until you realize you have a limitation, you will not recognize the flow of my rock in your life. He says, I am the rock. The rock holds my well. It's okay to lean on God. In fact, you have to lean on God so he can pick you up. He can't take you to a new dimension if you don't lean on him. Because when you think you are fully capable as yourself, you will crash under the pressure. It's a really good church conference. It was the best I'd ever seen. Well, that and one other. They're neck and neck. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be, in case they're watching. They both were equally awesome. God can't take you there if you're not realizing you have to lean on him. You have no choice. He has to be the fundamental foundation of your life. There's no way you can do it without him. It's not man. It's got to be God working through you. The Holy Spirit wants to be a thriving spring in you, waiting to burst out of you. It's a supply that will never run dry. And God's only request is that he be invited into your life. Sometimes you gotta bring him back a second time. It doesn't mean you lost what he gave you the first time. It means though you can drift from God, you know. He said, I'll never forsake you, but you can walk away from God. 
And so you can re, it's okay, God, Paul says, I die daily. You see, you're going to make mistakes, and it's okay to re-invite God back and say, God, I know I've been distant for a while, but it's okay. As long as I got air to breathe, I want you back in my life. It's not a one shot and you're done. That's why it's grace and mercy. Do we deserve it? No. That's why God is so amazing. We could never earn his love. He says, just invite me. If y'all could stand this morning as we close, just invite me. Understanding our limitations is what will expose that in a way you've never seen. You'll, you'll leave after an encounter with God going, oh my Lord, Jesus, that was weird. What did I just see? Go to your Bible. Go to your Bible when you have questions. What you see is the word of God manifesting the same way it always has when man diligently seeks God's mercy and God's love. When I'm in Christ, he is in me. When I'm in Christ, he is in me. The pressure to lean on him creates this overflow. And here's the best part. Here's the best part, church. When you get filled up like I'm talking about, it's going to come out of you whether you want it to or not. It's going to come flowing out of you. It's going to be so much you can't contain it. You can't help but tell people the goodness of Jesus Christ. You can't help but tell them what good things because what you were given was meant to be given away. It wasn't meant for you. We're all to be boats and vessels on this ocean for Jesus. So you're going to desire to do it. And then it's, here's what's funny, is when you think you're thirsting for water, God says, give away the water I gave you, and I'm going to give you some more because my well never runs dry. So here you're waiting for God to give you a drink, and he says, if you give them a drink, I'm going to give you so much more. Your well will never run dry because my cup will overflow over and over into your life. Give it away if you want to get it. Give it away if you want it, give it away. You first, you step, I step, you step, I step. Give it away and God will give you 10 times that, seven times 70. I asked God to expose this house. So I drove past those soccer fields. That's weird. And now we're gonna be running seven times 70 on that movie screen. That's weird, man. That's like a God thing. Literally, the lady who, we, we got this promo going, and she said, it will run 70 times per day, 70 days a week. And I said, lady, that's the Bible. Did you know that? You just spoke something prophetic that God says this is exposure. That's the Bible. She don't know that. She thought she'd just give me my receipt or whatever it was. I said, no, you just confirmed something. God's ready to multiply because we're giving everything we got. We're giving everything away. And what you see now will multiply times seven times 70 and keep growing as we give it all in God's interest. Amen. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Some of you may be new to this. Some of y'all may be seeing some things today that's weird to you, but I can tell you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this is the word of God that you're seeing. This is the Bible, the fruits of the spirit. This is the word manifest in his house. That is the culture you want to be a part of. You want this genuine word to be in you because people in this community are craving authentic Jesus Christ. They're tired of the mechanics. They're tired of the formula. They're tired of the process. They want the real living word of God because nothing brings 
balance to bring back that lack of limitation than the word because that is the only thing that can do it. So I encourage you today, if it's your first time this week, to, to pray to God and say, God, God, this was different. I want to I see change in my life. I want to come back to church and I want to be something big in this life for your eternal glory, God. If you've already been there, you want to elevate your game, stretch it, hit a limit once in a while, go to a limitation you didn't think you've gone before. If you've never served, try serving. It's not because I like telling you to do it. It's because God will change your life if you do it. I mean it. He will change your life. I hated serving when I was a kid. I never served nothing. And I never understood Jesus Christ until I jumped all in. And now I get it. And now look, I'm pastoring a church. God says, I will change your life if you go all in. I give my life on it. I promise you, church. Trust me. God will give you increase. God, have your way in this house. Show us something new this week. Let us share with the world what good things you have done through One Seed Church. And let us explode into the new year with a revival that we have never seen in St. Louis. And if the house of God could say, in Jesus' name, amen.